20 million viewers on Fox for the USA game. 17 million on Fox for the Iran match. Viewing parties are unbelievable. When you go three games and you don't concede a goal from the run of play, that's outstanding work. This is For the Love of the Game, hosted by old school college soccer coaches Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. But this episode's a little different. It's time for another installment of Cup Commentary, where Ralph and Ray share their thoughts, predictions, and expectations for the remainder of the 2022 World Cup. This week, we check in on the performance of the U.S. men's national team and the results of the group stage. Here they are, Ralph and Ray. Well, here's my first takeaway that I think that uh, everybody wants to know about and how it goes is that, okay, uh, the U.S., I think there was a big concern as we talked on our last show, how would the U.S. fare? How would the U.S. do in their group? Could they get out of the group? As we reflect back, uh, the very first game against Wales, uh, being at that game live, I thought the first half the U.S. couldn't have played any better. They were on top of their game. They looked great. They had a lead. Looked like uh, you know they had Wales pinned back. And then things turned about in the second half. And, and that can happen in our sport how one half goes and then how the second half goes. And uh, it was interesting because uh, they just made a simple change. They put a center forward to go up top and they played old school. They went back to just playing direct, you know, getting it forward, playing to him and uh, knocking it down and then going and winning the second ball and getting forward. And it created issues and problems for the U S to where eventually at the very end, they drew a, a silly penalty on the U S naivety there. And uh, they got a penalty kick and got out of there with a point when I thought the U.S. should have gotten out of there with a solid three points. Yeah, I think the match changed when the big 6'5 guy came in. We had no answers for him. But I also think it's the youth of the group. They were not able to cobble together 70, 80 good minutes. It was always a half, you know. And then, uh, you know, we get, even though we did not play a good second half, we gifted them the goal. It was a you know, bad decision by Walker Zimmerman. But I, th- I thought the first half was interesting. I've heard people say they would compare all three midfielders, Adams, Musa, and, and McKinney, with any of the midfielders, any of these teams' midfielders that were over there, how good they were. I tell you, they, for me, it was refreshing to see them run with the ball, how they could play. I was pleasantly surprised with the group uh, in all three matches. I, I give Greg Burhalter the credit uh, and Ernie Stewart that uh, I think they've got us going in the right direction. We need a number nine. And we need to be able to sustain our play for longer than 45 minutes at a clip. But in the England game, you know, the England match was a good match for us against, right, a quarterfinalist. And then I ran. I thought we did what we had to do. Got the goal. You know, again, got fatigued. We're under some pressure. But we held up. So, to be fair, we, gave, we didn't give up a goal from the run of play in the first three matches. I think, uh, you know, the challenge always, as, as we all know, whether you're a coach or a fan, is how you manage the game and the clock and the minutes and how things can change so dramatically with obviously one kick of the ball and then it turns things around. 
I, I felt that uh, when you look at the U.S. team, and, and that's what we were doing on a, on a constant basis over there, looking at the games and looking at it from an analytical standpoint, uh, what the U.S. did well. I thought the U.S. was good in uh, going forward and transition, winning the ball. When you look at the fact of the matter that when you go three games and you don't concede a goal from the run of play, that's outstanding work. You know, I mean, the one goal was a penalty kick. I think to go unbeaten, not lose a match in the first three games, puts me uh, thinking that I, I can't recall a U.S. team attending a World Cup in group play not losing. I think that uh, reflecting back, uh, they did a good job in that sense. I think when you look back at the England game, those three that you mentioned in midfield did a fantastic job against the midfield of England. Tactically, I think it really uh, stifled the, uh, the English game going forward. And I thought on the night, you know, and I'm trying to take off my red, white, and blue colors. On, on the night, I thought overall we were we were as good of a team of England's quality. So it says great great things about that young midfield group that you mentioned, and and I think that uh, they they deserve a lot of credit. But I also thought that night was one of those nights that what you need. You had a good team effort, uh, good team defending, quality goalkeeping when it was necessary. And overall, I think at times they could push the, the game forward a little bit on the attacking side of things to make sure that England couldn't just, you know, push up. But there's a lot of things that, you know, we have takeaways and, and we'll, we'll discuss. That game itself, I think, showed uh, the soccer world that the U.S. is legit. They should be there. And there's always that question about our region, CONCACAF, is it strong enough? you know, with Canada, the USA, and Mexico and Costa Rica representing our region. And I think that each country had their moments in the World Cup to to show that they belong, uh, even though uh, that first game for Costa Rica, uh, they fell down seven goals to nil against Spain. They came back and, uh, you know, won their next game, and then uh, they, they fought hard in the last game against Germany. So, you know, this region doesn't get enough credit. The U.S. was the lone survivor of getting out of the group play. Uh, but I think, you know, the teams were in. It's, it's, it's a challenge to get out of your group in the World Cup. Uh, no question. Yeah. I tell you who was impressive was Tyler Adams. To me, he gave one of the best performances of a national team player that we've had as long as I've watched the World Cup. But it was fantastic. Covered all kinds of ground with the ball. Good leader breaking up place. I thought Turner was very good too. So Matt Turner did an outstanding job. Even in the in the Holland match, he made a couple of big saves. You know, obviously everybody understands the elephant in the room. We don't have a number nine, or we didn't take a number nine. It's kind of comical. You were over there. Fox said Brazil brought nine nines on their roster out of twenty six, and we're struggling to find one. Obviously, that was a problem going forward. I tell you what was interesting is Greg Berhalter's lack of use of Gio Reyna. I thought when Reyna came on the last game, he did a pretty good job. But it did not seem like he was in the plans in the first few matches. Well, I think that was the the big controversy. Going in, there was a lot of expectations of Giovanni playing. Then all of a sudden in that very first game, it was said that he was 
still recovering from an injury. And then at, when the press asked Giovanni that, Giovanni said, I was 100%, I'm fine. There's no such thing as an injury. So then there was a contradictory there thing. You know, there's always issues that fly out and come out on players. Uh, yeah, no question. The lack of a, of, a, of a bona fide forward that you're happy with. But that was even during the qualification process, we used a, a series of, of guys in that position. And it seemed like nobody could win the job or stick in the, in the coach's plans to have that position locked down, even going into the, to the World Cup games as they got there to Qatar. But I think the challenge always is if you have your lineup set prior, you know, the players know, there's less, less chance of second guessing, I guess. On the case of a, of a Brazil, uh, there's no question that the, the amount of players that they took and the talent they had in that position is a plus and a minus too, because you know you you're playing players and then you know you're trying to get them all minutes is, is impossible. But no question, it's nice to have that kind of depth uh, in that in that position that you need up top and the guys who can really make the game for you and get goals for you. The challenge I think for the U.S. going forward is that we need to develop players who can play 1v1 uh, in the attacking third, turn corners on the flanks, beat people in tight spaces. And that that's the game as we go forward, is the ability to play uh, in, in tight spaces because uh, everybody now has different tactics, but clearly that's the part of the game where I think I heard Bruce Arena say that many, many moons ago, that when his takeaway coming back was that we need players who can play in that final third and, and make things happen for us through their dribbling and passing skills. i tell you two guys that fit that to a certain degree, and they're not the attacking guys, but I was very impressed with Serginio Dest and then Robinson, the two outside backs. I think we've got two legitimate outside attacking backs. I think Robinson needs to get a little better defensively, and obviously Dest got beat for a goal, but I think coming forward, they, they give us options that we really haven't had in the past. Young options, too. Well, I, I think when you look at, at the game, and, and, and that's, you know, I'm looking at it from both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think Sergio Dest is, is a talent going forward. I think he can go on, on it with a dribble. He can go on it without the ball overlapping. Uh, he reads the game very well from there. Robinson, I think, is, is a player who can get up and down. But I'd like to see more things come from his play that would be useful, meaning the pass, the crossing becomes a good pass that gives options. You know, one of the challenges that you want if you're going to allow your outside backs to go forward, and that's why when you mentioned earlier uh, a player like Adams who did a, a great balance of, of fulcrum on our defense to balance out what we needed in the midfield, I think was superlative and I think probably – Television doesn't give you that chance to see his ground that he covers, the work that he covers, uh, the organization, the leadership that he has at such a young age to uh, to really uh, do that job and do it so well. I think the outside backs, though, uh, also have to be more connected with the back four and that sometimes that exposure hurt us. But overall, when you take the age and the average age of our team, this was an opportunity to get all these players a chance to play in a World Cup. And there's 
there's nothing you can duplicate uh, a World Cup experience. So that experience that they all picked up, those that played and those that went, are beneficial uh, for the next round because obviously being one of the host countries, the U.S. is already automatically in. And then that is good, but yet that's also difficult because now you're not playing any meaningful qualifying games, hard-fought games, must-win games over the next four years. So you've got to get into a gold cup. You maybe even got to try to get to the South American cup if they let you come down and play because you got to play that competition where it means something, not just a friendly, but a meaningful thing in a tournament setting. Cause that's going to be the challenge I think for the next world cup for the U S going forward. Well, I agree with you, but I even think even when we have to qualify these CONCACAF games, you know, we are better than most of these teams. We have to get, I think pressure games, in some format, like you said, with Germany, with Italy, with Spain, or in the Copa America. Because I, I even think the CONCACAF matches, they're not easy for us. But, you know, we're not, we're not playing Belgium in these games or Portugal. We're playing teams that we can manage to a certain degree. Uh, and that's going to be a very interesting challenge for you at soccer to get these type of games in the next 36 months to get us ready for 2026. Uh, you know, and you're right, the, the pressure of not qualifying at least those games, there's a pressure to qualify. Uh, we're not going through that. I read something the other day that they said we're in the Copa America. Now, I don't know if that was like, I don't know if I read it online or in the paper, but that we were going to be in the Copa America, that we were already in it. That would be a good thing. I think that's something I'm sure that Brian McBride and, and Ernie Stewart are looking at. That's important. It just as important is our next, always looking for the next group, the next recycling group. The under 20 group that's going to go to the World Cup, and then also the Olympics in Paris. If we can, if we can get those kind of players released to to participate in that kind of an environment as well, would be important. Uh, every chance you can play and you can compete, and and you're competing for something, I think is huge and important. And obviously, Mexico and Canada are in the same dilemma because they're this World Cup will be the first time. Uh, in 2026, that you got three countries. We've had two do it with Korea and uh, Japan, South Korea and Japan in 2002. Uh, so this this is going to be a new one. And also what's been said is that they're going to expand that next World Cup from 32 teams to 48 countries. And uh, listening to the reports on that, uh, that will be an interesting format, an interesting way of how they're going to have to make that all work. But one of the things that uh, was said over there was that the teams that got out of the group was the first time that you had every confederation have a team get out. You know, you had Senegal get out. You had Morocco from Africa. You got U.S. from CONCACAF. You had, you know, Japan get out their group as well. And then obviously your European and South American teams. Uh, so I think the world has shown, and, and one of the things I was in the first big shocker, and I think one of the most biggest upsets in World Cup history was, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, you know, right out of the gate, you know, and then in the same light, Germany losing their first game. So uh, it, it's an interesting growth and development worldwide with soccer that countries are capable of beating anybody on that given day. And it was quite evident in this World Cup. 
that we saw some big upsets and, um, you know, some teams come out of the group that clearly no one had, had picked or thought that they would get out, you know, and uh, that's, that's good for the sport. That's good for the game. And it's good for the development of, of soccer worldwide. It's going to be interesting, though. FIFA had said earlier on in the World Cup that in 2026, they were going to make 16 groups of three. But now, because of the compellingness of the third stage games in the group, now they want to go back to groups of four, which I'm not quite sure how the math's going to work on that. But they thought these the final day games in the group stage were very compelling. And now they don't want to go away from playing just two games in your group. So that's going to be an interesting dilemma. The other thing is, CONCACAF's going to take three more teams. I'd be very curious to see how those teams survive. You know, if, if one of our weaker countries in CONCACAF gets paired up with like an Argentina or a Brazil. You know, obviously we saw Costa Rica get took to the woodshed by Spain. You know, Iran got taken to the woodshed by England. And But what happens now, we got 16 more teams. Now, some of those teams in will be Italy. I get that, but there's going to be six CONCACAF teams in. Well, I think there's some things that need to be worked out as they go forward here. You know, we're, this one hasn't finished. I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussion with with that. I think the biggest challenge as well, you know, when you look at uh, the World Cup and, and at when they make those last games in those groups, uh, they make the third game at the same time. You may know the score, but it's still a game to be battled with. And it was, it was kind of, exciting and in one minute a team was in and then the next minute the team was out you know it was one you know germany was in then costa rica was in then all of a sudden the score turned and flipped and both costa rica and germany were both out so that excitement that drama brings a new element and they've done that now for a while i think yeah i think that when they announced that it was going to be three over there that that caught an uprising uh with people so I think they're going to have to look at that and figure that one out because that's a that's going to be a big challenge. But going back, you know, to our our, our country, the United States, for a moment, I just want to go back to the the ability to the flex and change to make the game or to be more defensive minded in the game or to be more attacking minded in the game, depending on where you're sitting on the result. From game one to game two to game three, they become more tactical because now you know what you have, what you didn't have. You have a different opponent, uh, different style, different competition. So it, it really makes for something more more tactical in the game itself. And I think with our, our team, uh, I think that the players themselves, you could see the maturation from game one to game two to game three. That's a helpful tool. Uh, going forward for whether Greg stays in that position or they make a change. Uh, and that, that decision will be forthcoming in the in the months coming because I know Greg's contract is finished at the end of December. And whether they renew it or not, I, I felt that based on what he did and what he uh, was able to do with the team over his tenure, uh, I surely think that he, he deserves an opportunity to take the team again and, and build on it uh, and go with it towards the next World Cup. But uh, that's for the powers to be and make that decision. And I'm sure the same for Greg, because it, it is a draining job. It's an encompassing job. You're, you're working all the time, looking at players, identifying players. Uh, you only get them together on short 
FIFA playing dates. So it's it's a tough job uh, by no means. And uh, I got to say to Greg and his staff, they uh, and the players, they they made us proud with the U.S. and their performance in, in Qatar. Yeah, you you were obviously out of the country. The country was going wild. Twenty million viewers on Fox for the USA game. Seventeen million on Fox for the Iran match. The viewing parties, even in the Northeast where the weather has turned, viewing parties were unbelievable. New York Times, USA Today, everybody giving four, five, six pages of coverage, not just to the Americans, to everybody else. I mean, it is coming. It's coming slowly, but it's coming. And I, I, you have to feel really good about the group he has right now. You know, he's got to add a few pieces. Interesting, Ricardo Pepe, well, he didn't bring Pepe with him. I thought for sure he'd be included in the group as a target. There was almost a there was almost a uh, controversy about Zach Steffen, but obviously Matt Turner put that to rest. It's going to be very interesting to see who moves forward. Yedlin does Yedlin age out? I think he's twenty six. I think he's twenty six. He might be a little bit older. Does Yedlin age out? And Walker Zimmerman obviously, to me, struggled as compared to Tim Ream, who was a last minute addition. So he's got to get the center backs right. He's got to get the number nine right, and then they got to continue to develop. But so many guys playing in Champions League clubs now, you'd have to think individually they're going to grow exponentially in the next four years, next three and a half years, really. Well, here's the big thing that happens and what's really clear for everyone to understand. Being over there, we had an opportunity. Jurgen Klingsman brought us into the uh, FIFA Technical Committee group and what they were looking at and changes in the game and all the new data, you see everybody with an iPad now on the bench. You you know, the staffs have grown to where a, a whole staff for just the team alone is over 24 people. So you as the head coach got to manage all of those entities. And one of the things that uh, came very clear is that the way the game is now with the role of the ball not having to leave the penalty box, a lot of teams play short and then they try to build from behind. And teams drop off a little bit so that they want you to build so then they can come and press upon you. So what's happened over there and what the technical report is going to probably say in the outcoming uh, months to come is that your back line, whether you go with three or four or five, they see a lot of the ball. And the quality of their passing, uh, along with your goalkeeper with his feet skills, it becomes they're seeing more of the ball and then maybe, you know, some of your midfield players are getting touches. That part of the game has changed. And clearly, I think that what the U.S. has to do is develop good center backs with good foot skills, just like with goalkeepers. And I think that the other thing that's coming forward for the U.S. is that, you know, we've got to develop those players that I think can be game makers or game breakers with their individual talent because i think when things become equal on the field it's that individual player that may be able to break the opponent down with his own individual skill and flair that makes the difference in the game and i think that's where we're at now is who are those kind of players that we have you know who can be that okay we we think okay sure christian pulisic can be that guy at times he was involved with a goal or an assist in the goal. But, you know, sometimes it, obviously the opponent's going to try to knock that player out by doing a good job defensively on it. So do you have a, a secondary guy 
that can be that player. And to try to develop those players, they're not easy to develop and find, but I think that it's quite evident that every, anybody who's a good soccer player in the world, whether he, from wherever he is in the, in the world, they all gravitate to Europe to play in the, in the big leagues. And uh, obviously right now, this is the biggest number of players we've ever had playing in the big leagues uh, in Europe. And I think that's a, a benefit. I still think Major League Soccer is a big benefit to helping U.S. soccer develop. Uh, and it surely helps some other countries because over 50 players that play in Major League Soccer were on the rosters of the World Cup. I tell you, I thought did a good job was Timothy Weir. I really liked this guy. But he was dangerous. They probably should have operated him as a, as the nine and maybe played Geo more. But I thought Weir did a good, great goal. Great goal against uh, Wales from Pulisic. But yeah, I, look, I think we've grown leaps and bounds. I didn't know what to expect. Not qualifying four years ago. You know, these guys, only one guy participated in a World Cup. You know, we could have got embarrassed. I thought we might get embarrassed with the youth of our team. And to be fair, it was just the opposite. I think they surprised people. I thought their competitive nature, I thought the cohesiveness, everywhere you turn, they talk about the chemistry of the group, how close these guys are from playing in the 20s and coming up together and all being in Europe now. I, I thought it was certainly a step in the right direction and excited. Excited in 2026, to be honest, the goal should be a semifinal when we play at home. And you know, that's, not, that's easy to say, but we'll be at home. You know, the travel will be limited. We'll be comfortable in our own environment. Uh, what was the, the 90, 94 team made of what, to the quarters? Well, the, the best result we've ever had in the World Cup was uh, when uh, Bruce had the team in 2002. We beat Mexico in the round of 16. And then in the quarters, we played Germany. And then we lost. And uh, still to this day, if they had VAR, that, that that penalty would have been found and called. That that was our best result. Clearly, you know what what I see as you're saying about the team and the growth. That that's a key thing. Host nations uh, usually get out of their group. Uh, Qatar was a team that didn't get out. That World Cup was a great experience for them as a as a country and as a playing soccer nation to help them develop their game. A lot of people think that the 1990 team played an important role for the, the nucleus of the 1994 team under Bora. Uh, and I think that, you know, we're at that cusp right now of over the next years, how much do we develop these individual players that we've identified and seen play is, and what players are out there that are maybe just getting better. And we don't even know today who they are, but they're, Maybe a, a player right now that's somewhere out there, whether he's here playing in America or, or, or a player like what we got with Timmy Weyer, uh, whose dad was from Liberia, or Des, whose uh, mom was from uh, Holland. And uh, so he had dual citizenship. I think that the United States has surely made uh, great ground in this tournament. As much as I think we all wanted to um, see them move on, and go on. Uh, it was the same thing like in 2010 after Landon got that exciting goal against Algeria in the injury time. Uh, we, were, we were excited with that. And just like we were excited with the 2002, I think it's good to see that clearly 
the United States now travels unbelievably well to World Cups. I mean, I think, I don't know the exact figures, but clearly we had to be one of the top three teams that had fan support at the games. I mean, we had just as many fans there than England. You know, the Argentinian fans were there and, and known. And a country that surprised everybody uh, that had a, a big turnout of fans was uh, the fans from Morocco. It is something to behold, uh, the nationalistic pride in the fans that they come and into those fan zones and how teams travel. Uh, Mexico is a, a country that travels unbelievably well to support them. Uh, and some of those stadiums, you could almost feel it was like a home game for those countries when they were playing because they had such a big turnout of fans. So I, I think that the, the, the World Cup in the United States and Mexico and Canada in three venues will be uh, unique and it'll be a, another experience because Mexico's hosted the World Cup twice. Uh, this will be the second time for the United States and the first time for some games at World Cup uh, level to be played in Canada. So I think it's only going to help all three countries uh, going forward in the next uh, years to come. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting, I think, for the U.S. and be curious to see how we develop in the next 36 months. What did you think of uh, the center back combination of Reem and Zimmerman? Well, I think uh, I think they did a great job. The two of them, uh, maybe their best match together was against England. I thought they were very good, winning duels, very good in winning their individual one-on-one -on -one battles. Uh, the, to keep an England team who is shown to be pretty good in getting goals, it was a good thing because after the group play, you saw that. England got in the other two games nine goals, and against the U.S. they couldn't they couldn't get to the back of the net. Uh, I thought they did well in that game. I think that unfortunately uh, I like Walker Zimmerman. I thought it was a mistake, uh, but that's what happens at that level. And I think what always happens at the international level, you get really punished for your mistakes when you make whether it's a mental mistake or or a physical mistake uh, at that level. The quality of the players will then make you, you know, pay for that. And uh, unfortunately, the PK was a bad one on his part. But overall, I thought those two did well. I was surprised in the in the third game against Iran that uh, Vickers came in for Zimmerman. But obviously, maybe the coaches felt that that was the right move. And then later on in that game, when they were up one nil, and you know it was twenty minutes to go. You know, they brought Zimmerman on knowing that, you know, things were going to be more direct coming forward. Uh, they get another guy in the air that's good in the air to help out defensively. But I think that that opened up, you know, like always, you know, you, you want to win the game. So you, you want to get more defensive minded. And then that turns into the opponent seeing more of the ball. And then you're under pressure on, on and on. And I thought in that game against Iran, the U.S. held on did good enough to get the result they needed. They dodged a few attempts there that were close. The keeper came up big. And I think that uh, sometimes you need lady luck on your on your side. The difference between a goal being scored sometimes is just inches, you know. You know, And I think that the U.S. Uh, was able to get out of there with that win, to get forward and get out of the, out of the group in, in a must-win situation because – People need to remember that the U.S. had to win that game. A tie would have knocked them out. That's right. That's right. A little disappointing seeing Germany. Seeing Germany go out, you know, 
not a good German team, but disappointing. Well, that's two World Cups in a row that uh, a country like Germany, who has a great World Cup history, being knocked out in both group play and not getting out is a little bit of a, of a shock. Not a good World Cup for them. And obviously, uh, the press was killing them. That is the one thing that uh, all these players are under great scrutiny uh, back home, you know, and uh, that that was one of the issues with Iran. Iran was that they were told before the game, uh, their first game against England, there was some issues back home and, uh, and things were being said about their families and the pressure that they were under. And, and they were upset with the Federation and they didn't play well that game, but uh, they bounced back well in the last two games, but uh, it, it was not easy for uh, Carlos Quiroz, who was coaching that team. And he came out and said that there were things that the players were under that he didn't want to discuss after the first game, but had an impact on how they played against England. And uh, they bounced back in the last two games to make a better account of themselves. So realistically, Ray, you know, the big, the big challenge that everything plays in America is that, as you well know, young players, college players, youth players, USL players, MLS players, players that are trying to make it overseas. There's so much out there now in our country and so much more soccer being played, so much more professional opportunities. And the, the bottom line is the, that pool of players that you need to have and, and to go forward and, and, and get it right because you – if you don't get it right, uh, it surely will will come out in, in the next go around, and that's that's going to be the big challenge. Whoever is the next coach, is to get this pool of players going in the right direction to be able to compete in the next World Cup. It's just like around the corner, and they were talking about that when we were already over there because the next World Cup, as well for women's soccer, is in Australia, New Zealand, a combination in the U.S. women are defending champs, two-time champions in a row. They've won four World Cups. So they they are now progressing to that. And obviously, that that we saw the women's national coach over there, wished him well, very nice gentleman, and was very supportive of the men's program he was there supporting. We had the opportunity to meet with uh, the president, Mrs. Cohen and Cindy, and uh, they're – they're working hard for the women's World Cup team as well. They're working hard already in preparation. All these groups and all these 11 cities in America will start working now, preparing for this next World Cup to make it the biggest, the best uh, ever. Yeah, it's going to come quick. You know, people think it's going to be, it'll take a while. It's going to come quick. As a matter of fact, they've approached us. We're putting a whole new practice facility, a building. And U.S. Soccer's approach, this is possibly being a training camp site for a team being based in Foxborough. So we're hoping that we can get our facilities up to snuff to attract somebody to be there for a couple of weeks before the tournament in 2026. Well, I, I tell you, that was the last thing that I, I take away from this trip that was pretty amazing to me was that um, I got to see four different stadiums and games, and I saw the other four on TV and these stadiums were amazing. They were well put together. They were, you know, for a country that really doesn't have a lot of soccer, for them to put all these stadiums together. And just as you're mentioning, training facilities on smaller scales for the guys 
to train at were uh, incredible. I mean, the hotel where the U.S. team was staying was uh, as good as any hotel I've ever seen in the world. Tom King, and uh, who's in, works with U.S. soccer since '98. Uh, we've gotten smarter on how to do things and how to get things done. And obviously we, we've got the means to do it right. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we, we're, we are, even though we're not maybe in the top four in our country because we have diversity of sports, we have become a soccer playing nation over the last 25 years. And the best part, I think, going forward here, which was the part that needed to catch up, was that I think we have a tremendous fan base of uh, people who care about the sport, love the sport, and want to be a fan. And I think that'll be shown with the interest for the World Cup itself, um, because, you know, cities that weren't there on the, on the radar in 94, Seattle and Atlanta, uh, those are two cities that are Major League Soccer cities that showed that there is a tremendous fan base in those cities that merit the World Cup games to be played there. Exciting times. Exciting times for U.S. soccer. Thanks for listening to For the Love of the Game with Ralph and Ray. Be sure to leave us a review and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk with you next time.